Welcome to the Big Black Clock Podcast, the wrist-tickling world of virology, brought to you by the dynamic duo of two Montreal watch enthusiasts. Enjoy dad jokes and bed puns as we deep dive into new releases, trends, reviews, and everything watch-related. Now sit back and rest assured you'll have a good time. We have a special guest with us today. He's a writer at Fratello, author of the Vintage Digest book, and now the man behind the VPC Watch Project. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very cool to be here. Which part of the world are you dialing in from? I am uh, in uh, Hoofdorp, which is um, about 20 minutes from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, and I'm uh, in the attic, which is where my uh, my home office is. Nice. Um, we Before we jump in, we have a quick customary risk check. Let's maybe do that and then uh, go on. So, Thomas... <laughs> For us, it's the morning. It seems like it's morning. Dimitri, did you have your coffee? We, f- we feel you very... It is morning. I mean, I'm hoping, Kevin, it's also morning for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have a very young child, so I've been up since five. It's lunchtime for me. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, customary wrist check. Let's do it. All right. Um, I am, uh, I'm wearing... Sorry, I, I just uh, just jumped in. Um, I'm wearing uh, Panerai Radiomir, which is my latest acquisition. It's been with me for a week, so it's I'm still very much uh, in the honeymoon uh, phase. Um, it's the PAM 210, so it's uh, an oldie from 2005 because I really wanted a hand-wound one at the 45 millimeters with the minimal dial text and the sandwich dial. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, uh, getting used to the size. It's a bit bigger than uh, most of the watches I wear, but uh, I think it suits the style. So Definitely a lot very different from the one we're going to talk about today from VPC, right? It is. It's like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a bit of a gap there, but that means they can <laughs> exist next to each other in my watch case very well. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. You know, I have a Panerai as well. I have the 754. I uh, got that about five, four, five years ago. That one doesn't have the sandwich dial, but it's the 45 millimeter manual wound. So it's a little bit thinner uh, with those wired lugs. And, yep. you know, it's one of those watches I find that sometimes it doesn't get wrist time for a while. And I even question, I'm like, oh, I'm not wearing it. Maybe I should sell it. Before I ever sell a watch, I always try to put it on and keep it on my wrist for a couple of days and then really confirm that I'm ready to, to let it go. And every time I put it back on, it just finds a way back to my heart. And I'm like, I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to keep this watch. And it's just great. Every time I put it on, I go, why am I not wearing this more often? It's, there's something special about Panerai, I find. So, um, yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know if I can. I mean, they, they have a smaller, they have different smaller models. I think I can... Uh, can probably try to handle one of those because 45 is a bit big. You know, the thing is, Dimitri, they came out with those Douay lines, the Panerai uh, Douay, which is like this more refined and even have cases that are in the 38, 39. But it always gets that critique. It's like, well, it's really a, not really a Panerai at that point, right? You got to get at least a 44 millimeter, right? Or <laughs> it's, yeah. So there's always that, um, it'll put you on the fence. I find I, 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 I had the same critique or the same thinking as you, Dima. But short lugs, short lugs, I think make it uh, much more wearable, let's say much more versatile. Yeah. So Kev, maybe uh, what are you wearing today? I'm wearing a Mido. Um, this is the Ocean Star um, World Timer GMT with the decompression dial. And it really is... Uh, a stunning dial. I really think it's it it's, is. it's a lot of fun. And it's one of those like considered true GMTs. So you're able to local set the hour hand independently uh, for your local time as a quick change. I put it on this, and I have to I, a shout out to them. I had the black one as well, but this is a blue Artem sailcloth strap. So it's it's one of those higher end ones. They're they're not they're they're not cheap. Uh, they're waterproof as well, so you can wear them to swim. And uh, just a lot of blue with a lot of fun. Fun summer watch, I have to say, because of the deco- the 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 dial, uh, but a lot of fun for swimming today. Looking forward to uh, taking it out to the to the water. 
Dimitri? Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, the um, did you just buy this? Because I don't think I've seen that before. I did just buy it uh, a few weeks back. And uh, yeah, I haven't posted it. I just did a posting this morning on Instagram. But it's a great watch. Yeah, the, the dial is just... I love the watch. And I kind of want to check out the Artem straps as well. Yeah, they're really great. I actually, I'm wearing my Speedy uh, Professional Hesolite, not the current gen, the previous gen with the 1861 movement. I recently took it off the bracelet and I put it on the um, on the single pass NATO from uh, Crown and Buckle. And uh, just before, because uh, I, I always say that uh, you know the weight of the watch is important, and as soon as it kind of loses a little bit of the heftiness, it makes it feel like it messes up with my head a little bit. But I love the single pass NATO because it's it's so it's such a thin profile and it's very comfortable. Yeah. I, I'm loving this, so it's gonna sit like this for a bit. Uh, I'm not gonna put it back on the. Yeah, bracelet. I saw a picture you posted. On our Instagram yeah. of it looks great. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, let's uh, go into the fun part of this uh, episode. Uh, we have Thomas Van Straten. Maybe, Thomas, you could quickly introduce yourself for our guests. So I'm, I'm not only based in the Netherlands, but I was born there and uh, lived there uh, the majority of my life. I work for Fratello as a writer, as you uh, you introduced. So you can read my articles there uh, a couple times a week. And uh, before this, I used to work uh, at Amsterdam Watch Company. A vintage dealer in um, in Amsterdam, uh, not the one with the massive YouTube presence. Yeah. That's always the question: Is it that one? No, it's not that one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the other one. And um, yeah, before that, and in, in past life, I was um, a consultant in uh, in subconscious consumer behavior, so entirely in the marketing world. But I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't where my heart was, and so I uh, I made the switch uh, to watches, uh, which have always been a hobby. Uh, a bunch of years back, and uh, I haven't looked back. And uh, Indeed, last year I wrote the, the Vintage Datejust book and that inspired me to, you know what, if that worked out, maybe I can take one step bigger yet and um, and give this a shot. So um, I've worked myself into this little, uh, yeah, into this little kerfuffle, so to speak. <laughs> one thing, Thomas, before we get into some of these questions, you said you were at Amsterdam Watch Company. So were you, did you directly jump into vintage watches? Was that an, the, the first jump or was that a... Like, what were the steps between that? Or was it right into vintage watches? No, I actually, um, I, I kind of took the hard road. I said to myself, look, uh, it, it's all fun and games being a consultant, but you need to start pretty much at the bottom. So I, I honestly, I took a job at a local jeweler just to uh, to get a feel for it and just do everything I can there and uh, did uh, some courses in, uh, in silversmithing, goldsmithing and stuff like that, just to sort of get a feel for what that world looked like. And then once I felt like, okay, maybe I can uh, I can take a little step now, I moved on to uh, to Amsterdam Watch Company, which, as you know, if, if you have a passion for something like that, it's just, there's so much less resistance in what you're doing. It's just, it flows much more. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good step. It was, it was scary. Handing in eighty uh, percent of your pay, basically, <laughs> and uh, starting over yeah. after a decade of um, beginning to lay the groundworks for a more traditional uh, career. So you move from Amsterdam um, watches yeah. to Fratello. Yeah. Tell us about that transition. You you you've been with Fratello now for how many years? You said uh, a little over one. Okay, it's not that long yet. Yeah, it's been a, it's it was quite a logical step. I was more of a researcher writer than I was uh, an, an actual dealer. I mean buying watches, selling watches, that is a very uh, specific kind of game that isn't necessarily all about watches. Right. Um, so I did a lot of the writing for Amsterdam Watch Company, wrote the book while I was there, 
and that pretty much led uh, RJ, the owner of Fratello, to he was looking for new writers, and he thought, well, this guy. Uh, About the book itself, I'm very curious. I mean, I love digests. What made you specifically want to focus on digests? In part, just a personal love of the model as well, um, but also it was at Amsterdam Watch Company. It was by a long shot the most requested watch. Yeah. Uh, the turnaround time for those was well, we had I don't know maybe seven a week or something and then they were all gone, whereas for some other models they would lie around for two years. So there, there was a, a big demand for them, and there wasn't any sort of reference book just yet. There was mm-hmm. actually nothing. So that kind of conspired to make me think, you know what, maybe I should give it a shot. And since I'm there, I have uh, access to uh, to a huge amount of them, including some very rare ones. So it was just every weekend I took a bunch home with me, put them under the microscope, uh, studied them, and uh, it was a really unique position. I mean, even now at Fratello, I couldn't have written that book again because I just wouldn't have access to so many uh, vintage datejusts. You're handling all these datejusts. You've got to feel the Smith work that you went through. You've now been for Fratello, an ease of writing. Tell us, what made you do the, when, what was it that said, you know what, I'm going to create my own watch now? It almost seems like the next step. You learned about it, dealt them, wrote about them. Now you're like, let's make our own. It all led to this. It all led to this. (laughs) (laughs) All roads lead to watch. Honestly, it's been um, sort of the ultimate dream for me. Like one day I'd hope to do that. Um, And at many different points, I sat down and tried to think up a watch, basically. Like, okay, what, what watch should I make? What can I release? And it was always, if if you try to do that, it's always derivative or far-fetched or there wasn't really a need for it. And then at some point handling these tons and tons of vintage and then later modern watches, sort of the idea of my own personal vision of the ultimate watch for myself started to emerge in my mind. Like what if we took a little of this and a little of that? And if it was built to this standard and featured a caliber like that and then a handset like this, and that sort of started to age in my mind and at some point i came to the point where i was like maybe this should just exist maybe i should just try if this could work mm-hmm. and that's honestly the the route i've been following ever since it's just i'm i'm honestly treating it as a playground making my own ultimate dream watch and sharing the journey and hoping that a few hundred people say hey you know what Th- that guy yeah i kind of like what he's doing and uh, i think i'll uh, i'll get in on that yeah it's probably uh, no market uh, researcher would ever advise uh, this route probably but uh, i don't know it's it seems to be working so far and especially in i find the the kind of watch that you you're kind of trying to design you know you talk about the simplicity and the beauty of the date just you know you're saying that you really mm-hmm. love that watch so simplicity and now vpc what does that have in common i'm thinking of the name like talk to us about this name what it means and that's why I was kind of laying it out there with simplicity, but I know like we'll translate it. You can translate and tell us all about it. But talk to us about that name, what it means. Yeah, it's honestly, it's it's the creed of the brand. It's uh, It stands for Venustas per Constantium, which is Latin for, it's not quite literal, but it translates to something like beauty through restraint, uh, charm through con- constancy, some, something in that, in that field, which is very much my taste in watches. I mean, uh, the, the radio mirror I'm wearing is a bit of an outlier, but I still consider it that way because it is the base model. It's the, the simplest version, the fewest embellishments. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing that I tend to like. And um, there's this thing where often a simpler watch you might not fall in love with straight away, but once it's on the wrist, it's like this this concept of a slow-release charmer that you hear uh, mm-hmm. being thrown about. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that. I often um, say it's a grower, not a shower. 
as a joke because yeah, that's another way because of it. like uh, I think that's how I feel exactly about my uh, Explorer. Uh, you know, like it's 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 a watch that as a base model that doesn't stand out, let's say, too much. But then the more you wear, the the less you want to take it off your wrist. That's precisely what I hope people will have with my watch. And so it's not about showing uh, your wealth across the room, but it's about yeah enjoying it for yourself a little bit more every week. M- more than anything, it is for yourself. So why did you decide to pick specifically a Gada watch? Something that, you know, you can go anywhere, do anything type of thing. In part, it's, it started with the same motivation that it's just my favorite genre. Uh, I mean, hence the, the Datejust book. And uh, it's just the kind of watch that I really gra- gravitate towards. But then as I got going and as I sort of went from a very naive uh, little dream to something that that I would execute upon and that would make some some sense as well, I found that it's actually a very good platform to start with if you're going to set a design language for your brand. Um, The Gata watch is actually a really good starting point because you can very, there's there's very little embellishment there. There's very little to guide you. If you're going to start with a dive watch, which seems like everyone is doing it that way, then even only that rotating bezel very much guides your design and your whole case will sort of build up to that bezel. And and that tends to make that sort of watch pretty hard to translate into something else. Whereas a Gata watch is more like a template, like a, a blank canvas that we can um, that we can build into more dressy watches or uh, or more complicated watches or sports models. And so it's really proving to be um, a good way to, to set your own design language, I find. But it could be, you could argue as well that, and that's tough. It's tough to start with that blank canvas and to just, you know, want to build something where you say hundreds of people say, I like what this person's doing. That's that's difficult. You probably had like a bunch of iterations where you're going forward. It's oh no, no, I'm going like, no, no, that I thought that would be great. I think I have it. And then you do and you're like, nah, I didn't land. <laughs> and you just keep going, going while a diver it just seems not to say this, like it seems like, okay, we're gonna put this bezel. We know this is gonna be the driver for the watch, and then let it build from there. So it's tough, this Gata, as much as it is like it's simpler because of blank canvas, like you said, the simpler choice, but it must be tougher in terms of design. It is. I, I do think it is. And uh, we found it to be. But the fun thing is we, we've shared, uh, or I have shared, um, a lot of these early sketches where we where we didn't quite have the, the design direction just yet. And they're, on, uh, they're, they're in the Fratello articles, the series on uh, building a watch brand, but they're also on my, uh, my own Instagram. And you can really see uh, Max Resnick. I, I, we should probably get into that at some point, but he's a, a top, top designer. And uh, hiring him has been, a, I think, a huge early win uh, f- for the brand. But we can really see, you can really see in those images that, that slight nuances make for a completely different watch. And it took some, some time before we landed on something that really had an identity of its own. There were a couple specific challenges that, that really, in the end, formed what I think now is a pretty recognizable uh, design and that, ha- that harbors some things that can really form sort of the seed for, for, for later models. Um, and yeah, that, that was a big challenge I posed for Max and, uh, and he, he took it up uh, perfectly. Maybe let's touch a bit on that. So like f- from the beginning, how did you come up with the design? And I, you mentioned uh, Max Resnick that you found and who is an amazing uh, designer, I think specifically working with watch uh, companies. Could you talk about uh, like the steps and how did you come up with this? And you know, what were the interesting and challenging uh, parts of it? Um, yeah, so the idea was a Gata watch. It was... Um, 
there, there was sort of a recipe I had in my mind and I started to make some, some very early sketches, but I'm not a designer. So I was more working on a conceptual level, like this is what the watch should be. Um, and just collecting also sources of inspiration, like what I'd like to see from, from historic um, designs and what I think we can reuse and, and, and upgrade or, or, or retranslate into something new. Well, I, I knew I needed a designer to bring it to life. And there's a couple of ways you can do this. You can sort of take your concept and your rough sketches and you can walk to a manufacturer and say, here, can you make this? And they'll they'll complete your design basically and make it producible. But I wanted more uh, creative freedom than that. So I decided to, to split those into two separate things. Like first, come up with a really good designer work on the aesthetic design, get it really where we want to be, and only then involve a manufacturer to see if we can uh, can produce it. I'm curious to ask you, because um, you mentioned in your you mentioned in your blog and, and, and on Fratello that um, you are trying to make sure that your design wasn't influenced by anything else other than your own personal, um, let's say, view of what Gato watch should be. And you, you mentioned that you avoid, you know, reading overly too many comments, let's say, on people suggesting what you should do. Uh, and then also, you know, you mentioned you have a, a few Gada watches today, right? The, the King Seiko. How did you stay away from, or how did you um, accomplish, let's say, that aspect of not being influenced by something else? And do you think there might be some influence in that design from your, at least, Gada watches? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's full of um, of influences. But I think I think what matters most is that you take... Uh, inspiration from a concept rather than from something precise so there's actually there's features in there that if you know you can see like hey that, that might be loosely inspired by a vintage date just but it's been changed and updated and used in a different context so for instance to name something very uh, concrete my own personal uh, vintage date just which is the one on the cover of the book is a 1601 so uh, from 1967 and that generation had a pipe end dial so a, a stepped dial you know the slightly mm -hmm. lowered rim around uh, the dial now we've done that on the vpc as well but in a very different way rather than sort of sloping it down uh, in about a millimeter or two it's a pretty radical step that's only the very outer perimeter of the dial and so it looks completely different but it is loosely inspired by something. And I think if you're going to design a watch that is somewhat classical and aesthetic, then you can't avoid the, the language that has been set in the 1930s to 1970s, so to speak. So I, I wasn't too bothered about that. But one thing that really did matter is that I've set Max some challenges technically. So for instance, um, I have a bit of a pet peeve that I'm really annoyed by bad end links on watches. Okay. I just can't stand it when it looks like a single milled piece where like a male end link that sticks out uh, a, a huge uh, distance and it, it looks like one solid blob. And it's just, I, I absolutely hate that. So I, I told Max, I want a way to integrate the bracelet with the case. Well, not actually integrate because it's not an integrated model, but the flow to, to marry the bracelet to the case, so to speak, in a way that is that solves this, make it look like the bracelet just runs straight through or something, or we have to find a way to make that better because I think it can be done and I think it's just lazy design. Mm -hmm. And so we iterated on that a ton and then ended up with this, this sort of curved inner shape between the lugs and a ledge so that the bracelet actually tucks under that ledge and we can make it look as if it runs continually through the case, um, also in manufacturing later on because the end link will actually be 
made up of separate pieces. So it's not that milled blob that looks like one piece of metal. And then also when you take it off and you put leather straps on or rubber straps or NATO or whatever, there's no gap there. Well, there's no, there's never a gap with a NATO, but if you use a two-piece strap, yeah. then there's no gap there. You don't see your own skin uh, between the watch case and the, and the lugs because it tucks neatly under that ledge. And if you do that sort of stuff, then automatically it's going to be different. And I think, um, yeah, we took a, a, an approach like that a couple of times and then almost naturally it turned into something that didn't actually look too reminiscent of anything familiar. Mm -hmm. I've um, like looking, reading for your blog. I'm, um, uh, let's say, in general, wasn't really a huge calligraphy fan. So when I was looking that uh, chapter, let's say, I, you know, I I was uh, expecting to kind of skim through it, but then it ended up being my favorite one because I didn't really like it's it, for people that are maybe not into watch community and maybe not watch enthusiasts. Sometimes it's an it's nice to have that understanding of how insanely detailed everything is and to me like the thing that stood out and i think you were working with somebody else at that point and maybe if you could mention the name uh like the word swiss made on the small second subdial that it was an auto alignment right along the along the outer rim but then uh, your designer wasn't and you guys together i think weren't like it didn't work for you so you manually moved each letter to make sure it looks nicer and that is absolutely crazy to me yeah we tested seven different positions for the swiss mate and then uh, indeed ended up putting uh, in the position where it is now we ended up putting the the letters on there manually which one was it of the seven was it the first one no no i think there's a couple in uh, in one of the articles there's a couple i show uh, yeah. just to show the difference because that's, that's yeah part of the fun of sharing the journey like i can show people like hey, this is what i did and this is what we didn't do but yeah indeed it's um it's quite common nowadays as you've read in the article like back in the day the the typography on watch dials mm -hmm. very much came from function there were there was a reason well there were several reasons why dial printing looked the way it did um, I won't go into everything here because you can fill two episodes with it probably. But there was in, in the printing techniques and stuff, there were reasons for doing it that way. And then as technology progressed, those reasons, they weren't really that important anymore. But then also somehow many brands lost interest in spending too much attention on it. So you right. see so many dials that either have like five different fonts or um, like the latest Tudor Black Bay. It's just all Arial. I'm like, well, that's not a very inspired font and, and it looks dull and it looks lifeless. And so I really wanted that vintage vibe. Well, this is another source of inspiration, actually, if you, Absolutely. If you want to go back there. Um, and so I found uh, by chance, really, this was really lucky because I normally wouldn't have had the budget to do it, but um, I, we found a good way to make it work. But I found Samuel Baker, who is a typography designer with a complete obsession for watches and um, he is similarly obsessed for details as, as I am. So I would show him a dial, like, this is actually quite beautiful. And he'd go, yeah, but the spacing <laughs> between the one and the four is a bit off. And, uh, and yeah, no, it doesn't work. So that's the sort of back and forth that we've had for months. And we ended up deciding, you know what, we're going to design a font, a typeface for VPC from scratch. And so he designed everything, all the, 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 the letters and the numerals and the, the, the symbols um, that we needed. And indeed, everything you see there, so the, the full name signature, which in itself is a bit of an ode to history, the fact that VPC is used everywhere, but only on the dial do you have the full word mark, as they used to do back in the day, mm -hmm. as well as the Swiss made. That's a completely custom font designed 
from scratch for this watch. And, and know, I wanted to comment a, on that one because that's what I also saw that, uh, you know, you guys looked through all kinds of different fonts and ended up still making your own because nothing was satisfactory. Yeah, but the thing is, these old, these really old vintage dial fonts, they have such unique quirky features that you just don't find anywhere. You can actually see there's a ton of brands who sort of approach that vibe, who still want to sort of maintain that vibe. But usually there's quite a lot of detail missing. So for instance, the flat topped A or the hooked seven and those sorts of details. I mean, you probably have to check the article if you want to know all about it, but they're often missing from these modern fonts. And we decided, you know what? No, we're going all the way. We're, uh, we're going to really bring it back and actually a, a bit more than we, we really need because there's no numerals on the dial, for instance. But we did design a full set of numerals. If you own one, you'll be able to enjoy them. Just turn it around and the specs on the case back are executed in the same, uh, in the same font. Could you talk about maybe uh, now how you came up eventually with the prototype and what did you do to to try to kind of wear and see the dimensions are matching what to what you want if it's comfortable over the long time? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I was initially I set out to do a sort of between vintage and modern size. Um, so I wanted something a little bit on the smaller side. I mean, as you see from my Panerai, I, I enjoy watches of any size, but uh, I think for a Gata watch like this, sort of classically inspired Gata watch, it, it makes sense to be a little bit smaller. But I also didn't want to go quite in full vintage domain. So I thought, you know what, let's not go to the 35, 36 region. Um, so we ended up settling on 37 and a half. But that still doesn't really tell you that much um, because the watch is quite long from tip to tip. I mean, relative for that diameter. And what is it? You want to? Yeah, it's 45. It's a little over 45. So, I mean, that's so not big. But it's... They, just, they just used to be a 36 by 43, right? So now it's yeah. a little bit yeah, longer, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a little longer. And it's emphasized by the fact that it's only a little over nine millimeters tall, mm-hmm. uh, including the domed crystal. That's incredible. So, um, it's very thin. It has a really yeah. sort of squat stance. It is incredible. Yeah, yeah that's, that, I'm really happy about that. And it has a really sort of squat stance because of it. So it's really a very different wearing experience from um, from other watches. And I sometimes compare. I mean, I heard you in a different episode talk about the 39 Explorer. Um, I think this really is somewhere between the 36 and the 39 Explorer in terms of wearing experience. So it's a little more vintage inspired than the 39, but it's a little less purely old school than the 36. So I think that's a really, at least in my opinion, I'm still still trying to build my own dream watch. For a modern Gata watch, that's perfect. So I'm hoping that uh, other people will agree. And maybe talk to us just quickly about some of the other, talking about proportions, maybe some of the other specifications that you put around this watch for it to be Gata, the water resistance. Yep. You're talking about the thickness, you know, you put a sapphire crystal. Um, talk to us a little bit about those specifications that you had in mind. Yeah, so it's um, it's going to be hand wound, um, also as a, a bit of a nod uh, to history, um, but with a screw down. Crown. Also, it probably keeps it on that thinner side. That right? helps. Yeah, yeah, it helps. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's got to have a screw down crown, which is a bit of an odd combination because, well, actually, I have one of the few watches on that has that feature, but the Radiomir has that combination as well. But you need to uncouple. Yeah. the the crown from the movement because if you fully wound you can't screw in the the, the crown anymore so there's a bit of an uncoupling right. there. so we'll have that as well um, we'll have a top grade Celita uh, in uh, chronometer spec uh, it's going to be an SW216 so that's uh, that's the hand wound uh, movement with a sub dial uh, sub seconds at six because I wanted to explore sort of the one eyed panda uh, idea. 
as a bit of a hook for the design. It's beautiful, by the way. And we're going to do that in um, to our own creed of VPC. We're going to keep the dial quite simple, but it's going to be the, the beauty is going to be in the execution. So it's going to be a milled dial rather than stamped, um, and that's a bit hard to come by. And you can drop 13k on an IWC uh, engineer, and you'll still get a stamped <laughs> dial. So. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. A little jab there, but um, it's fine. I said uh, it's, all, it's all right. Well, that's because IWC is getting a bit of flack from us as well, right? Lately. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're, it's it's, a it's price. just the it's price, a price, guys. I mean, if it was half the price, I, I, I'd be I like, that's a great watch. Yeah. There's some issues there, but okay. Um, yeah. So we'll have a milled dial, and it's going to be frosted. So there's uh, even in the sub dial, there's no uh, sunburst or anything. It's just quite simple, but a beautiful matte fr slightly frosted uh, texture and this is another thing where we, where we set ourselves a bit of a challenge we wanted to keep the indices very elegant and and minimal but we also wanted really good loom just for the the more sporty end of the the, the gada theme basically and so we ended up settling on uh, solid loom blocks um so that's the the ceramic compound that you see um, Tudor, Tudor Black Bay Pro nowadays, for instance, uh, has it. Mm -hmm. So they're applied indices with the um, the loom yeah. blocks. Yeah. So they're then we can use the really classical proportions, like a really narrow applied index, but made up entirely of loom. So that was a, a really cool um, Very nice. thing we could do. And what kind of loom? You don't mind me asking? Do we? Did you just select? Is it going to be a blue? Yeah, it's going to depend on the dial color. Nova. We have a, a silver, a blue, okay. and a green dial, and um, the silver and the blue are going to have a blue glow and a glow. Sorry, and uh, the green is going to have a green uh, glow. Just. Uh, I'm going for the blue one, by the way. We've oh, been nice. chatting. I was chatting <laughs> under my Instagram. I was asking for prices and availability. All that's so that oh, was really? me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So. I'm glad because I I do prefer the blue loom, so I'm and I'm always partial to blue watches. As if you ever listen to the podcast, but yeah, that's the one I'm going to be going nice. for. But um, okay, so that's interesting. So nice applied indices with the loom blocks. That's wonderful. Yeah. Going back quickly to the movement itself, also you mentioned the salida. I'm very curious. I'm obviously, part of the selection process was for you to make sure that you can still maintain the the thickness of the case. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to hear, let's say, how did you, let's say, eventually decide to pick that one? And also now considering that there's recently been a damage to their Salida factory, how how are you impacted, let's say, uh, with that choice after the, uh, the events? Yeah, those events, the, the impact there remains to be seen. Um, I, honestly, I'm not really taking it into account too much. I... Uh, as with anything uh, in the project, I prefer uh, quality and doing what, what we want over time or, or price. So I think that'll, in the end, uh, probably solve itself. There were only a few calibers that applied, actually, because we wanted, indeed, something thin. We wanted um, something Swiss-made, uh, because the entire watch will be Swiss-made. We wanted something um, with a sub-seconds at six. Mm -hmm. Uh, and hand wound so that already narrows down your search quite a lot and there was one serious other candidate which was uh, from la jupere uh, they have a really nice one that's based on the old Pesseux, uh calibers uh, that you find in nomos for instance uh, they, they have their own in-house version now but it's the the basic architecture is, uh, is similar but those have um first of all an absolutely ridiculous uh, lead time nowadays so that that was already challenging and then what killed it off is that the, the inertia of the balance wheel is too small to regulate it uh, to any series level. So if you're going to do a chronometer, then you can't do do it with that uh, with that caliber. Mm. So in the end, there was actually only one seriously viable candidate, and um, 
well, luckily it's from Salita, who is uh, is known to have uh, really good, reliable, uh, solid movements. So um, you know, and we talked about in the last episode, like we say, well, what's going to be the impact of that? And I said, look, for all these, say, independent brands and like even yourself, who's going to be putting this at one point when the orders come through, we just have to wait, you know. And if it takes the time it'll take, it'll probably be delays, but. I always say like, and I'm looking at the level of detail that you're you're putting into this watch. I'm sure it'll be well worth the wait. Can't wait to, to actually see it. But but I think that's ultimately what what might happen if other ones are trying to get quick, get to the market. They might switch. I oh, will go to Soprod. We'll go get a Lander on, or you know whatever, or even Muteta. But um, ultimately, I think you know uh, finding the right movement. You want to stick with it, even if it's going to take a little bit more time, because it's there's a reason why it was picked that way, right? Yeah, and you know part of kind of talking about every single aspect of this watch, having an insane attention to detail. Um, very curious again, you were, when you were looking for bracelets, you, you probably went through maybe some that are easier, let's say, to make, maybe some of the pre-made ones that could potentially fit. But then, as with every other aspect of your project, you decided to make your own. Yeah, I, I knew up front that um, I wasn't going to go for a, for a pre-made uh, model. And um, some of my uh, uh, more experienced uh, predecessors uh, said, you're nuts for trying that because that's uh, probably the hardest part of your project. But, oh, well, yeah, sometimes you have to, you have to try something. <laughs> but no, we, mm -hmm. from moment one, we decided we're going to do a fully custom bracelet. For me, a really good Gata watch comes on a bracelet and then you can switch to your heart's desire. But for me, that it's really a must to have a really good bracelet. Again, as with the end links, I'm... I'm very picky in terms of what I like aesthetically, but also what I like in terms of quality, like the the solidity and the suppleness, and uh, and especially also finishing uh, of it. Um, and so I also I, I just really want something that is made up of the same alloy and finished by the same people uh, as the case itself. Because if you look closely at many watches that come on sort of generic bracelets, there's always a bit of a difference there, and it's not quite bit of a quite yeah. there. And those are those are corners cut that, in the end, I think make you fall out of love with a watch at some point. It's like ah, I wish I had gone for something that that didn't cut these corners that may not have jumped out at me earlier on. And so I decided, you know what, I'm I'm just going to try. I'm going to see how far uh, we're coming, and I'm actually right in the middle of. Uh, negotiations with manufacturers and then trying to get all of that done so that's uh so i'm very much sitting on the blisters that uh i prepared for myself a couple months ago <laughs> but uh, no we'll we'll get that done but it is indeed one of the more challenging parts and it's something that most people don't uh, don't do but i think i mean also in design if you look at the watch it doesn't really show in the renders because the renders are made in some perspective but um one thing that max for instance did was um, to create the illusion that the subdial is the same width as the center links of the bracelet. And that's not something you'll consciously right. register, but it creates continuity. But when he had them precisely the same width, it actually didn't work because then the subdial looked smaller optically because yeah, there's just some distortion there. So he ended up fine-tuning them precisely so that they, in the end, will will just go together really nicely and it's not something no one will ever say like oh i love how the how these two parts are the same width but it does feel like it is a well integrated and a good pairing uh, so to speak and um yeah you can only do that if you if you start from scratch so you went with a i think you described it as a flat link and a president uh, style bracelet had a baby i think that's what i read <laughs> 
So it gives it a little bit of a flair, that dressier tone, but also that sports uh, feel. Like uh, that. That's you. How how did you guys come up with like it was going to be a flat link and a president, or did, how many of them did you try? Oyster tried everything. We tried quite a, quite some things indeed. Um, my initial plan was to do almost uh, just a traditional flat link style bracelet, uh, like on the old uh, speedies mm. uh, from back in the day, the the Gay Frere yeah. uh, bracelets. But it didn't quite work because uh, at that point we had the case with the rounded inner shape to the lugs, and then with the blockiness of the the flat link or of a regular oyster, for instance. It just didn't quite, uh, it, it wasn't the same sort of world, in, uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, so we, we started iterating and we found that, you know what, if we, if we lengthen these flat links a little bit and we give them a little bit of a dome, um, then all of a sudden we got into that same sort of, hey, now everything comes together. And then there was a slight um, uh, bevel because I wanted a fully brushed bracelet because that's another pet peeve of mine, but polished end links... Uh, aren't really uh, my thing, so to speak. And so, um, but if it was fully brushed, then it was a bit too dull compared to the case. So we we put these really subtle chamfers just on the center links, and then it all came together. And beautiful. that's the really interesting thing in this process. It's like you iterate and you iterate and you feel, no, it's not quite there. And all of a sudden you see a render and it's like, yeah, that's it. And yeah, no, we had that vibe with this, uh, this combination. So at some point, once you pretty much finalized on your design. And I've learned so much, honestly, through uh, reading specifically the 3D model renders that it's uh, Max, I think, right? That, that was working on the on the, yep. on the watch design. He, uh, when you finally kind of send it to the potential manufacturer to, to for prototyping, you know, like they had to have questions like, what's the, what are the grooves on the back? What's the, is there a room for, let's say, a gasket for the crystal in the design itself? To me, this is not even something that I thought of when I was thinking of like, hey, design the, the, the watch. But it seems Max took care of that. And I'm curious, uh, like expanding on this, did you have to adjust anything? in the design after sending it to the for prototyping. Yeah, there's some uh, division of labor there that um, Max does take a lot into account. And so for instance, like swapping the caliber now would be impossible because the crown height and the case back thickness mm -hmm. and, the, and all those things are already precisely attuned to this uh, this caliber, which uh, my account manager at Salita shouldn't hear probably. I hope he's not listening. Doesn't really improve my uh, negotiation position, but anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but he takes that sort of stuff into account. So he, he does consider like the, the technical things. Um, but then there's a next step and that happens in Switzerland because that the tech development has to happen in Switzerland to apply for a Swiss made designation. And Max is, uh, is in London. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's now a Swiss party that does the technical design. So they take Max's aesthetic design. And then they look like, okay, so we need to put the thread, the screw thread here. And then here, there we create uh, a little channel for a, for a seal, for a gasket. And so those are two distinct steps. And they determine like, okay, so this part should be CNC'd and that should be lasered and what have you. And so those are two different traits, but it is very beneficial that someone like Max Resnick is by trade a watch designer, so he knows precisely what those guys will be doing to his design later on. Mm -hmm. um, and so the impact so far has been minimal. We've had we've made it slightly thicker than we planned before uh, to accommodate for a, a slightly thicker crystal and a thicker case back, which you need for uh, water resistance, which we want to have over 100 meters. 
um, we could go thinner, but then it it wouldn't withstand those pressures. And are you settled on the 100 meters or maybe potentially you'll go more? Uh, we're settled on a minimum of 100. So um, okay. if, if it's 100, then for the, for the genre, it's fine. If they say we can do 150, but it, it has to be half a millimeter thicker, then I won't do it because the thinness is really one of the, the characteristic traits of the watch. And 100 is, is more than anything you'll ever need. So More than yeah. enough. Exactly. You could do all your snorkeling, everything. It's if you, As long as you're not scuba diving, and then you're probably going to want a diving belt. I don't know if you're scuba diving, right? But this is a Gata watch, not exactly. a diver's watch. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 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 I wouldn't compromise on the hundreds. Way more than enough yeah. than we'll ever need. I mean, if you, if you, if you want to call a Gata, it has to be at least a hundred. Yeah, no, true. No, it I can agree. Be, <laughs> I agree. But there's this I, cult, I like... can't call this guy. Yeah, no, that's a little... Uh, <laughs> but there's this cult, like, no, it's, it has to be as high as possible. Well, it's not really that complicated. It's not hard to make it more water-resistant, but it has to, the materials have to be thicker. So the watch gets thicker. So it's really quite simple. Yeah. So it, yes, it can be more water-resistant, but it will be thicker. I think you mentioned in your blog that if, if you wanted to go for uh, 200 meters, you have to make it like 2-point-something millimeters thicker. And maybe that takes away or maybe not maybe not two but maybe something yeah that. i don't have the precise numbers uh, off the top of my head but it was it was significant it was at least something that comprom- it, it went from hey that's a very slim watch to oh it's just pretty yeah. average in terms of slimness and then honestly it's not worth the compromise for me and totally i agree with you and i think you also mentioned that like a lot of you know Obviously, it's uh, out of necessity and uh, those decisions are made. A lot of the smaller brands, especially the ones starting up, they use, let's say, pre-made, I mean, they use big brand movements Mm -hmm. and the thickness often is very high on, like, if you look at, let's say, a lot of, let's say, Tissot chronographs, right? They they use a specific movement that makes a lot of them very, very thick. And that is something, is also a bit of a pet peeve of mine, meaning, like, I'm also, like, the proportions of the watch have to make sense perfectly. It could be looking nice from the dial perspective, but sideways, it doesn't sit super well on the wrist and, and so on. But Dimitri, I'm also inclined to believe that some of these other brands, large or small, are not quite looking at saying, well, we really want the perfect case to fit this movement. They're just like, well, if as long as it fits within this uh, case, we're going to go ahead and, and make it that way. And there, you know, the refinement that comes behind it, I'm sure that there's ways they could thin down that case, find the right angles to, to perfect it. But sometimes it's like we just said it earlier, the cutting of the corners, right? Yeah, and I think also they, they get away with it because they don't, they, they don't necessarily need the hardcore watch aficionado who really cares about this sort of stuff. Exactly. Um, we, we don't like to acknowledge it as watch fans, but we matter far less than we think uh, in terms of sales to these big brands. And that's, I think, where the unique position for... It's, it's why I think there's a place for brands like my own and, and a lot that have come before me in that we, we don't need to sell 10,000 watches. I need to sell... 300 of these and it's already a personal success for me so i only need to find 300 hardcore aficionados who like this sort of nerdy detail that i described so yeah that's a very different different approach to the entire project I think. and you know talking about now maybe the financing could you describe a little bit how you how you manage to finance maybe because uh, you mentioned, uh, I mean, there's a different, uh, the different part of this is the price of the watch that mm-hmm. you kind of aim for eventually. But I'm very curious to hear about the financing aspect of it. How did you do it? How complex it is? And maybe even share, let's say, how roughly, how much it, let's say, this kind of a project could cost mm-hmm. for somebody to do. Honestly, there's a million ways you could approach it. And they have vastly different uh, sort of financial pictures uh, involved. Um, in my case, I... Um, I'll be working with a 
pre-sale for the first production batch. So I am financing everything up until production. And then so I, I do a pre-sale window and then the pre-ordered ones are paid and that money pays for production. Right. So that's one thing that I got out of the way by doing that. And I think that for small sort of watch lovers brands, that is now a sort of common and um, an accepted way of working. So that's really good because otherwise I just wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, and so basically everything else up until that point, I financed uh, from a business loan. Um, which means uh, designer, uh, prototyping, uh, early marketing, and, and all of that stuff. And in my specific case, I, um, I perhaps I, I budgeted quite richly relatively for, for the scale of my project on product development and maybe a bit sparingly for marketing. Well, so that might come and bite me in the ass at some point, but I felt I'd rather go out sort of hustling with a, a fantastic watch than go out with a mediocre watch and have uh, tons of attention. Absolutely. And, so, you know, we're yeah. here to help. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that that's amazing. That's, some more, uh, yeah, this is, this, is, this is precisely the, the sort of uh, thing I need to, uh, to reach out to. Uh, to people so thank you for that it's our pleasure it's a it's, it's, it's super interesting i mean we are watch geeks obviously uh it's a super interesting journey and i actually i thought about it to be honest when i was uh, reading the blog and i was like i hope thomas is actually filming this because this could be like an amazing 10-part netflix documentary <laughs> I, would, I would totally watch that it's you, you would know, like yes. an episode on, i mean seriously it's like an episode on design episode on calligraphy episode on let's say the movement and why and how like Building I mean, watch. I'm obviously speaking from my own point of view, but I would watch the shit out of that. Thomas, you heard it here first. I definitely would too. If you if you build a Netflix documentary, we yeah. want to be part yeah. of it. It was our idea. Yeah, it, it was. Yes, it was. All right, was all right. I'll, I'll cut you in. <laughs> We're very litigious on the Western world. I'm just kidding. Yeah, Thomas, yeah, yeah. what did you like the least? What was the biggest challenge here? Was there ever a moment you're like, I'm going to give up. This isn't going to work out. Mm. I think there's two things. One I addressed in one of the articles. It's uh, just dealing with feedback, basically. Yeah. Um, as you've as you've gathered by now, I'm I'm pretty uh, stubborn and following my my own uh, vision on this. But that doesn't ever stop people from just releasing a constant stream of yeah, it's nice, but you should have done this. And it's all very civilized. I mean, it's by no means online hate or whatever it's a very civilized and kind world in that sense but still just every day you you hear like ah i only wish uh, you made the bezel uh, narrower or oh if only it were 41 millimeters or oh if only you did this or that and at some point i started to feel that was a bit eroding on my uh, my drive so to speak but then once i got that out of my system i was like you know what this is all pretty much helping me it's all attention in one form or another and it's uh it's actually boosting the instagram algorithms as well <laughs> so um, i put that aside and then the other thing i guess um now identifying manufacturers for all the parts mm -hmm. is challenging i know uh, uh the, the the couple behind laurier uh, shared a bit about it with you guys as well they, lauren and lorenzo yeah yeah exactly it's, it's just challenging because you're nobody and uh, it's like, yeah, well, sure, we could we could make 300 of these very complicated cases for you, you odd Dutch guy, but I'd rather stamp out 10,000 for this big name brand that we're not allowed to, to mention by name. Yeah. And I kind of get it. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's, it makes absolute sense for sure. And we talked about it in a, a previous episode where 
like that's why I asked the question about the Salida, right? Because sure, like they still they probably lost a bit of production uh, for a couple of months, and it's probably the smaller independent brands that are affected the most, right? Because the big guys are still going to get their movements per contract. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true, but it's um, it's effective life, and it's uh, it's something that I'm in the middle of right now. Now I'm hoping I'm. I'm approaching everything like let's build a long-term lasting relationship so that if I uh, if this all succeeds and uh, I, I'm in the luxurious position of, of going for a second model or something, then at least everything is sort of set up and we don't have to go through that uh, struggle again. And we can just slowly build out. This is going to be a success. You're going to sell up to 300 models. Gotta fantastic what's the next model what did you have in, if you if you had to think of like if you i know this maybe you're getting ahead of yourself you're still in this one but i'm sure in the back of your mind you know you're showering you're like oh yeah the next model is going to be a what kind of watch yeah yeah i mean we di- we didn't approach the entire project as a platform for nothing i mean the, yeah. the the way we integrated the bracelet with the the, the special lugs and the case and so we've all made that to use in different uh contexts so I'm very much leaning towards uh, a dive watch next, mm. um, and I think there could be something fantastic in there if you if you use the same bracelet, yeah. um, upscale the the case a little bit, and then uh, have a really good uh, a matte uh, ceramic uh, rotating bezel in there, good matte dial, perhaps automatic caliber with the center seconds uh, for that one. I'm already sold. <laughs> 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 and of course, the, the higher water resistance, then we'll, we'll gladly add a, a millimeter uh, on, awesome. on the bottom and the top or something like that. But oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's something I definitely see coming. But I also, I mean, we're, we have this beautiful flat brushed bessel. I can see a, a tachometer scale uh, etched in there uh, quite nicely as well. So I think there's plenty of... Uh, there's a lot of room. Of potential. Guys, the limit, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Now that you're at the point where you have prototypes in different, from different materials, uh, what's the next step? Can you share you know, what's going on? What's, uh, how, how soon can we expect, let's say, certain new stages of this production? People are excited. What do they do next? Uh, be very patient, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, the, the current stage where we're at is, uh, so we've, we've done the prototyping with the 3D printing and we tested the cases uh, for wear on, on all sorts of different wrists because... Uh, I wanted to work on on bigger wrists as well. I don't have a very my my wrist is seventeen centimeters. I wanted to work on anyone. It's also a unisex model, so uh, there's been a lot of testing there. And now everything has been uh, transferred from Max. So uh, sadly, my uh, cooperation with him is uh, is now uh, sort of dormant, and um, it's now transferred to the party in Switzerland that will handle assembly for me as well as surfacing. Um, and together we're now making the technical design. So that's honestly a very uh, uninteresting process to see. There isn't really any visuals I can show. So the Building a Brand uh, article series is, is slowing down a little bit currently, um, as well as because we're, we're just identifying the right manufacturers for everything. But then the Swiss go on holiday and they close down the factories for a couple of weeks. And uh, honestly, I was hoping for prototypes in fall. Yeah. But that's not going to work out. Um, it's probably going to be uh, right around uh, year's end that we'll have the prototypes. And then I'll need some time to uh, to properly put them to use, to put them in the hands of a lot of people, of media and of uh, of some collectors maybe, and to, uh, to, to generate some noise. So I think it'll be late this year, early next year, that I can actually show pictures. And then uh, sometime... Uh, in the first half of next year, there'll be the pre-sale period. Fantastic. And you were, and we need to talk about it. 
What kind of price were you kind of hovering around here? I know you mentioned a few times before our listeners, where did you kind of settle? I think it was like a, it was, it was very affordable in terms of uh, the kind of level of detail that we're getting here and quality. Yeah, that, that was, that was another reason actually why I felt that it is, it's the right time for it because I think that the whole sort of micro brand space has matured to a point where you no longer need to be in this super competitive price point like super cheap high specs for yeah. for zero money yeah. so i feel quite uh, secure now going uh, for uh, going the extra mile so to speak so now we're aiming to keep it under 3000 uh, euro slash usd that's not too far apart i'm not sure you're gonna have to do the 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 the, the translation to canada our, Canadian dollars for me but our listeners <laughs> yeah, uh, our listeners can use calculators <laughs> thank you ah, okay, okay. We'll, let, we'll let them do it we don't facilitate that they yeah, can yeah, learn on their own yeah, yeah they can yeah. do it no but I'm, I'm taking this three thousand as sort of the limit like i'm i'm trying to, to remain well under it but i'm sort of taking it like okay that that should be doable and then in terms of finishing and machining and, and, and all the details, we should be really, really top-notch. So something that will last a lifetime. And, you know, uh, something that I also wanted to ask you now that uh, talking about the pricing, it kind of made me remember. Uh, mm-hmm. We met um, the bar- brand called Mayan at uh, Windup last year. And then mm-hmm. uh, um, um, their fellow, I think, Dutch, when we talked to them and I held their watches, they were like amazingly built. And then the pricing was so low. And I was like, how, how are you guys able to do this? And they're like, we don't make any money. <laughs> yeah, we don't make much money. <laughs> yeah. And that to me was kind of like what I when I was reading for your, your project, I was like, how is he gonna make how is he even gonna break even <laughs> yeah. with this? It doesn't it, it's 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 crazy to me. Well, it's not necessarily something I uh, I'm doing out of a huge uh, financial motivation at all. Same with the book. It, it was just a dream, sort of a bucket list thing that I want to do. Same with this. Um, and the good thing, of course, I have zero overhead. Everyone that I work with is uh, external and, um, well, yeah. I'm sitting in my own home right now and this is where I work from. So that helps a lot. Um, and so I don't really need the markup uh, that big brands uh, need. And in the end, I mean, it, I'm, I'm not building this up to be a um, a big uh, money pit or uh, well, it is a money pit um, or money a, a big source of money i should say <laughs> um but no it, honestly uh, doing the calculations if it all works out there should be a healthy small business in there um but then every the stars have to align yeah and i think that's you know i think we become good enough as watch uh, enthusiasts or whatever it is you kind of look at it and we're pretty good at looking at specs or levels of details you go well this bang for your buck we talk about that and Dimitri was saying the same thing, you know, so we're like, look at this, like, man, we can realize quickly, this isn't about making a buck. While other ones, you go, my goodness, it goes, they're yeah. really just trying to, like, they're taking advantage of the the trend. Oh, another integrated bracelet that will sell for, two, you know, yeah. it just, it's getting on board on the trend. It's quick, it's easy, and it's all about the number of units. While here we're saying, hey, you want 300 enthusiasts to say, you want level of details? Here we go, and it's not going to be. Uh, the cheapest watch you'll find, but it's well worth the money. Yeah, it's honestly, it is something. That, no, it's something that that is. Um, I'm not scared about it. I won't put it that way. But I do realize that it is an ambitious price point for a starting brand. But then the good thing is, and especially since I have the opportunity to take people along for the ride, I can justify every penny that goes into it because there is simply no corner cut. And so I'm hoping that that people will recognize that and feel that. And if you handle the watch, you may not see all those details, but you feel like, okay, well, this is this is serious stuff, and that'll justify it. But but it is ambitious, and I'm uh, I would honestly I would be humbled if I find uh, 
the, the 300 people to say, you know what, Thomas? Uh, well, I'll buy this. Two ninety nine. I'll make this happen for you. I'm gonna get the blue one. I'm <laughs> like Dima knows, and if you listen to the podcast, I'm a little bit of an addict. But I'm like, I'm already like, I was already, I was the one asking you on Instagram, are, like, when, what the date is it? When is it this fall? The pre orders? Like, I was yeah, already. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, yeah, you were yeah. say pump the brakes. We're still in prototyping. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm eager. Yeah. Uh, you know about um, like about you describing how everything is exactly the way you want it. I think uh, I really like the phrase in one of your posts that uh, like with anything, if I can't do it properly, I don't do it. And to me, this is exactly what this watch is. It's everything is done the right way. But that for me, honestly, it's also so much part of the fun. It's in, in every detail. I mean, uh, the packaging I'm looking at, uh, I want useful packaging. I don't want you to have a, a huge VPC box in the back of your closet. So yeah. I'm, I'm including a, a really beautifully handmade uh, saddle-stitched leather pouch Fantastic. of really thick, nicely uh, made leather so that it'll last a lifetime. And so it doesn't fall apart in the, in the, in the attic somewhere, exactly. right? Exactly. And I've had prototypes of some uh, more affordable stuff. And I thought, yeah, but... I, I could no one would ever say, hey Thomas, you cut a corner on the on the pouch, but it but it wouldn't be amazing. And I want it to be amazing. I want you to open the box and smell that letter and think like, ooh, this is something else. And I can use it. And so yeah, if that comes out of my uh, my cut, then so be it. But at least it will be uh, will be amazing. Um, well, Thomas, I think we're gonna start winding down a little bit, and we wanted to ask you, let's say, anything that maybe you want to mention that we forgot somehow to ask, or maybe you want to make some quick announcement. Or plug anything that we forgot. Yeah, I think if people got interested, then it might be worthwhile checking the articles on Fratello. Uh, it's called Building a Watch Brand. Uh, if you search for VPC, you'll find all of them. So I, I really take people along for the ride, which uh, yeah, isn't really something you see a lot in the, the very uh, hermetically closed uh, watch, in, watch industry. So that's I think could be fun for people, even if you're not interested in the watch. If you if you don't like the design, it might still be fun to sort of see how uh, how it all comes together. Um, same for my Instagram, where I do it a little bit more on a regular basis, show the little details, and it's all not quite as polished as it could be yet. But but it's very early stage. Um, and then if you're really interested, then it's probably a good idea to subscribe to the newsletter on uh, uh, vpcwatch.com. Because that's where I'll announce the the pre-sale out of out of sheer sort of business necessity. It'll probably be a very limited first production run, um, so that that might disappoint some people. That sounds awful, but I hope so because that means that I found enough uh, people to want one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the channels to to look for. Well, Thomas, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we like we're really excited about this project, and we hope you succeed. And I think you will, to be honest. It's super interesting. We will direct our listeners to go to uh, the Fratello uh, just to read it. I think it's it's extremely interesting. And even if you're not into watches, it was amazing to have you on. And good luck, and wish you all the best. Thank you so much. The pleasure was all mine. And. Uh... Thanks a lot. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you like our podcast, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at Big Black Clock Watch and through email at info at bigblackclock.watch. Happy hunting, and we will see you on the next episode.